Well, glad to see you guys here this morning. Um, hopefully, you've had a good week. Uh, how many of you guys um, have ever had a week where just, I don't know, nothing seems to go what you plan? You know what I'm talking about? All right, ever have one of those weeks where it's just a little rough? Okay, um, where it's like everything that could go wrong seems to automatically go wrong, and you're just like, okay, like when can this week be over, and you just can't wait until you get to the weekend. By the way, my weekend starts like in about 35 minutes, okay? Now I'm going to go take a nap, and it's going to be awesome, all right? It's one of the, it's, for me, uh, personally this week, uh, just for a variety of reasons, all right, this has been one of those weeks for me where I'm just like, I cannot wait until this week is over, um, just problems that have popped up that I've had to deal with. Uh, it, a part of it is just being busy, right? Like, like you ever feel like just worn out because you got all this stuff you got to do, you got kid stuff, you got games, you got practices. A lot of your parents, I know you totally understand this. Um, for me, it's like this week I had all that stuff, um, coupled with like normal church stuff, coupled with I had like, it's like I had something every single night that I had to go to or I had to do or I had to do something. And it was just like all of this stuff going on. Um, I also knew that tomorrow I was supposed to leave uh, to go on like a two-week trip. So I had like a bunch of all that stuff that I had to take care of. And then yesterday I found out about the whole Israel attack thing. And actually that's where I was going to go tomorrow. I've been looking forward to like all year, going to go to Israel. And uh, now we're not going because of all the stuff that's going on there. And it's just like all this stuff happened. And you're just like, can this week get any worse? You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? Okay. Um, It's just interesting to me um, this week, specifically, on one of the days, I don't forget if it was Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, but we were just talking and talking with some of the staff from Fremont, and we're just trying to figure things out here at Tiffin um, because we're growing, which is a good thing, okay? Like what AJ said, we had uh, like a 1,000 people here last summer, which is, which is awesome. It's what we're all about. Um, we want to help as many people as we possibly can to reach, to find Jesus, okay? That's the most important decision anybody could ever make in their entire life, and that's what we're all about here at Grace. But I was thinking this week as we're discussing it, like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Um, we've, ha- we've gotten some help um, on staff, but we're like, we need even more help, and so how are we going to do this? And we're like, okay, well, we're going to have to hire another pastor, which is something that we've been talking about um, really kind of off and on for the last year or so. Uh, but this week, we're like, okay, like it's, it's set. Like, we, we just have to do this. Um, after about a couple hours later, I was sitting on my couch at home, and I get this like random text, all right, from a friend that I haven't talked to for like a very, very, very long time, uh, from college actually, and she texts me and she just was like, hey, would your church by any chance be looking for a pastor to hire? And I was like, you ever get one of those, ever one of those like times like that happen where you're like, okay, God, like if it's that easy, that'd be nice, you know, like is this a God thing? That's kind of weird. And, uh, and she's just telling me, she's like, I got this friend, they're looking for a place, uh, would be really good, you'd love them, like that's just that type of thing. Now, for me, as I'm sitting there on my couch, I'm like asking myself, I'm like, is this a God thing? Like, is this from God? Or, all right, like, is this just coincidence? Like, what is the odds that this person that I haven't talked to for so long happened to text me today, just a couple hours after we decided we're going to have to do this? And, uh, you know, just, it's, just, it's just weird. And I'll be honest about this situation. I don't know. My guess is probably completely coincidence. But today what we're going to do is we're going to find out that David asked the same questions that we ask sometimes when situations or opportunities are presented to him while he is on 
the run. Now, we've been looking at the life of a king named David over the past few weeks. And David's a guy who was anointed um, as king by God when he was like 13 to 14 years old. They keep it all quiet because Israel already has a king. And if that king finds out, that would be a death sentence for David and probably his entire family. Well, then a few years later, right, when he's around 16 years old, he happens through a series of circumstances, happens to volunteer to fight this champion of a man named Goliath, right, um, that's part, that was part of the army of their enemy nation who had invaded. Israel, and he wins, right? With God's help, he wins. And from that moment on, this David kid, 16-year-old kid, he is an instant celebrity. He even goes to work for the king and work for King Saul, and he is successful in everything. He's got a reputation as a warrior. Eventually, he marries Saul's daughter, the princess, and eventually becomes royalty himself, and he's got everything you could possibly want, right? Like, think about it. He's got the power. He's got the influence. He's got the fame. He's got the reputation. He's got the success. He's got the girl. I mean, he's got it all, and he's only like 18 to 19 years old. I mean, think about it. This kid has achieved more as a teenager than any of us have, have achieved in our entire lifetimes, right? This is a real downer, okay? Like this teenage kid is way better than us. But he's successful because God allows him to be successful. And everybody knows that there is something special with this kid. In fact, King Saul is very, very, very much aware that there's something different about David. In fact, King Saul grows jealous of David. And I think for a lot of us, uh, we view King Saul, like when we read through these stories and we hear these Bible stories and all this kind of stuff, I think for a lot of us, we think, you know, well, you know, David, like I'm, I'm like David. And, uh, and this person who's like doing this to me, he's like King Saul. We don't realize, I think we're a lot more like Saul than we think. All right, we get jealous of the people around us. Right? We compare ourselves to the people around us constantly. In fact, if you think about it, like it took David having all this success and all this stuff happening to him and, and he all, you know, being famous, like an instant celebrity, like it took all of this for King Saul to become jealous of David. How much less has it taken us to become jealous of the people around us that haven't accomplished even close to that? You get what I'm saying? Right, like the people around us that, are, that we get jealous of because this good thing happened to them and this good thing and everybody likes them and everybody's doing this and praising them for whatever it might be. Like they haven't done anything compared to what David's done and that little stuff gets us jealous. So here's Saul. Can't stop comparing himself to David and eventually King Saul tries to kill David. And at that moment, David has to run away. Really, from everything that he knew, he has to leave everything behind. And that's where we left off last week. At this point in David's life, David, um, I would believe, I'd argue he's around 18 to 19 years old. The Bible doesn't tell us um, for certain. But we left him off last week living in a cave. All right? Not cool. Uh, he, his wife is marrying somebody else. Not cool. He hasn't seen his family for who knows how long. He, I mean, this guy, he's got no job. He's got no career. He's got no money. He's got no home. He's got no plan. He's got nothing to his name. And he's got a bunch of people looking to kill him if they can find him. And then when somebody walks by the cave that he's like hanging out with, um, he probably is still is acting crazy and you know, has to act insane so that nobody will mess with him. I mean, it's that type of thing. And so here's David. I mean, think about it. He's at the lowest point of his life, if you can imagine Maybe you've been there before. My question is, like, it just got me thinking this week, like, what do you do when you go from palace to cave? Like, how do you react or have you reacted 
in your life, when you go from palace to cave, meaning, meaning life is going so good and you're successful and things are going well and you're doing good on your sports teams and you know, like, like you're doing good at work, you made this goal, you got the promotion that you wanted, your family's doing good, your kids are doing good. Like everything, everything's so, so good in your life and then the bottom drops out. Like how do you react to that? What do you do when serving God just isn't fun anymore? See, many of us, I think it stops us dead in our tracks. And a lot of us, we start to doubt God. Or we start to blame God even for allowing these bad things to happen in our life. Notice, I just want to point out, that is not David. David does not do that. See, we don't come, in, come back to check on David like 10 years later after he's been in the cave and, and he's like curled up in the ball in the corner of the cave. He's like, Saul was so mean to me and he threw a spear at me and he's just not fair. And like he's not crying about it. Right? He's not yelling out for about injustice in his life and not crying out for justice and he's not complaining about it. What David does, and I just want to point this out, David moves on. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, so David left Gath. And he took refuge in the cave of Adullam. That's where we left off last week. So he's in this cave. Now, when David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they, that, that, here's this David. He happens, someone's like, hey, I spotted him. I think he's like at the cave. And maybe he's still acting crazy. We don't know um, that for certain. We know that he was, cra- he was acting insane in Gath. He's drooling all over the stuff and stuff, the Bible tells us. It, it, his whole family, when they hear that David is in this cave, they went down and they joined him there. All right, so they're like, okay, well, David doesn't need to be alone. Let's go, let's go join him. In addition, by the way, his family is probably in danger by King, from King Saul. It says, in addition, every man who is desperate or in debt or discontented, they rallied around David, and he became their leader. About 400 men were then with him. And word gets out that where David is hiding, and men from all over come to follow David. And so you got David and his band of Merry men hanging out for the next two years. They're traveling from place to place to place, hiding from Saul's spies. And the men following David actually then grows to around 600. So it goes from 400 to 600. And King Saul keeps searching and searching and searching. Actually, for the next couple chapters, you see some things that happen. King Saul, he... he um, if you remember last week, uh, King David, he had gotten some help from some priests. Uh, and so King Saul finds out about that. He goes and he just slaughters them all. I mean, just terrible things are happening. And that weighs on David's conscience that that, that happened kind of because of him. And so here they are. They're, they're, David and his men are hiding from Saul. Saul and his men are searching for David. And they want to wipe them out. Actually, at one point, there's like, they're hiding around this mountain. There's this mountain. And David and his forces are on one side. And Saul and his forces are on the other side. And whichever way Saul, Saul and his forces went, David would go the opposite way. All right? So it's like playing, you, you know, just, it's just funny um, to me. David, he doesn't want to get caught because he knows that Saul will kill him. And so eventually, one day, Saul is told that David is in the wilderness near Engedi. Now, Engedi is, uh, is one of those places that uh, it, it looks like this, okay? It's not like a place where a bunch of people, you know, hang out with naturally. Actually, I was supposed to be there this week, and I'm not going. It stinks. Um, but this is, so this is, this is in Getty. It's, you know, dry. It's dusty. There's not much going on. It was actually a big pain to get to. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it was a great, great, great place to hide. In fact, in the middle of Engedi, all right, is this place where they have this natural spring. The water just kind of flows out of the rocks. It's kind of weird. And uh, this is where David hung out. It's this oasis in the middle of the desert. 
Um, and this is where, this was David's backyard. This is what David knew. David knew this place like the back of his hand. And this is where David and his men stayed and hung out while Saul was searching for him. This was like his big hideout. And so Saul hears that David is hiding in this area at this stream in Engedi. And in verse 2, it says, So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's fit young men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Now, this 3,000 men, how many men does David have? 600, 600, right? David has 600. And so Saul, he grabs, he has five times as many men as David. This force isn't just to like kick David out and say, hey, you need to get out of our country. Don't come back. All right, it's not like that. This is a force that's, that's meant to wipe David and his men out. And that's exactly what Saul is trying to do. It says, when Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. Now, we all understand what's going on here, right? All right, like when you got to go, you got to go. Okay, we've all been there. All right, on a car ride, on a trip, where are you going? You're like, oh, no. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I shouldn't have eaten that burrito. I knew it. I knew this would get me. And then you're telling the driver or whoever's you're like, hey, I got to get off the next exit. Like, I'm saying as soon as we can, let's go. You know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here. So here's Saul traveling with his 3,000 men, and he's like, yay, we're going to have to take a pit stop real quick. Next rest stop, we got to stop. And here they are. They stop, and he's looking for privacy, all right? Now, with 3,000 guys, privacy is something that's kind of hard to come by. And uh, so he happens to pick a cave. There's caves all over the place in this area. There's caves everywhere. And so he happens to pick a cave where he's going to go to the bathroom, okay, or whatever. It says, so David and his men, they were staying in the recesses of the very same cave. Now, can you imagine what David and his men are thinking at this point? All right? They're hiding in this dark cave. They're hiding from King Saul. At some point, they, they must have known that Saul was coming because they see this like army of 3,000 men. They're on their way. And so not all 600 people are in this cave. It's not that big of a cave. What David must have told his guys, he's like, hey, go hide in the caves. And a few men are with David, and they go hide, and they pick a cave to go hide in, and that's where they're at. And their eyes have adjusted. Saul's eyes have not adjusted yet. And, um, and everything is going, you know, everything's going, I guess, not to plan here. And so the men's backs are up against the wall, and the only exit for David and his men is through Saul's army. Right? It's not like they could just run away here. They're in a cave. And everybody watches Saul walk in, and every one of David's men knows exactly who that guy in the mouth of the cave is. They all know that's King Saul. That's the one who's coming for us. That's the one who's trying to kill us. And everybody probably, when they watch Saul walk into the cave, I'm sure their hearts drop because they know we're dead. He found us. How'd they find us? They must have seen us come in here. Like, like we, are, we are dead. There's no way we survive this. But they're also a little confused because they're also like, okay, well, I don't get why King Saul's coming in here. Why does he send his men? Seems a little risky for him, more risky than, you know, more risk than what Saul would normally take. Why does he come in and have his men kill us? We don't understand. Why is he coming in himself? He knows we're armed and he knows we're going to protect David with everything that we got. And uh, so they're a little confused about that. And then Saul, he walks in a few steps. He turns around in the light and he turns his back to David and his men and he squats <laughs> You know? And everybody's just like, oh, he doesn't know we're here. 
right? This is awkward. All right, talk about an awkward situation, right? It's a little awkward. And the men, they're all in the cave. And we're David, and they're in the back against their backs are against the walls. And they're just like, David, it's Saul. And David's like, I know. You know, and they're, they're like high-fiving, and they're like fist-bumping, and you know, elbowing each other. Like, they're like, this is it. They're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, here's King Saul. He's got his back towards us. There's nobody with him. He's got his pants around his ankles. Like, come on, David, go take him out. Like, they're all pumped. They're all super excited. They're not shouting for joy because they can't shout. They don't want King Saul to know that they're there. But they're just like inside. They're just going crazy. And they're telling David, and they're smiling. They're like, get him. They're saying, this is our opportunity. This is our chance. David, go. In fact, this is what they whisper to him. They say, look. And David's like, I see him. And they're like, yeah, it's Saul. He's like, I know. And they say, this is the day that the Lord told you about. God told you this day would come. Remember when he said, this, he, they're saying, this is what God said. God said he was going to hand your enemy over to you so that you could do to him whatever you desire. God told you that he was going to hand Saul over to you. This is it. We've been waiting for this day for years. What are the odds this has to be a God thing? All right, and they're all excited. And David, he's trying to figure this out. That's the, actually the exact question that he's trying to figure out. He's trying to figure out, is this a God thing? Or is this just coincidence? It's actually amazing to me how many people, <laughs> Christians, how many of us, we justify sin, or maybe it's just dumb decisions, uh, by, be, really because of some specific circumstance that pops up in our life. And what I mean by that is how many of us justify some dumb decision or sin in our life because there's something that we interpret as a sign from God that God wants us to go do this thing that God actually doesn't want us to do, right? Like something like, um, you know, just random stuff. So like you notice a car, you know, at the dealership that you drive by every day to work and you're like, oh man, I could really use that. That would be, it'd be so much nicer to have a nicer car. And so you see that that week and you notice it and you're like, like, yeah, but, you know, it's just out of my price range. I just shouldn't do that. It just wouldn't be, like, the best thing. And then a couple of days later, your car breaks down. And you're like, oh, that stinks. Maybe, maybe God's trying to tell me something. You ever think that, stuff like that? Has that ever happened to you? We're like, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe God's trying to tell me that maybe I should go buy that car. And you're, you get the estimate. It's like $1,000. You're like, well, I can put that $1,000 towards my $25,000 new car. You know, like, that would make sense. Right? And we think that way. And then, like, later on that day, it's in the afternoon, you go out to get the mail, and what do you got? Pre-approval for a car loan in the mail. And you're just like, what are the, uh, God is trying to tell me that I need to go do this thing. Like, that's, that's kind of like what we think. We think like that way, and we're like, this is just more than coincidence. God is definitely trying to send me a message. He's telling me to go for it, and I totally get that I will be going into big-time debt, and I won't be able to, you know, be generous for a while or whatever. But, but if, if it's what God wants, you know, and I have people that come up and we'll meet, and, I, and maybe, maybe it's been some of you in the past, um, that we'll be talking through this, and you're like, you know, I just feel like God wants me to do this. And I'm like, why? And you're like, well, because, you know, because I, my car broke down, and then I got this letter in the mail. And it kind of, I don't know, it just kind of seems like, and, and you're like, but so it must be what God wants. So I'm like, no, bro, that's what you want. <laughs> All right, you're just using these like coincidences to justify you doing something that you probably shouldn't do. You know, I talk to a lot of people like that. We're just like, well, God gave me a sign. I'm like, well, what was that sign? And it's like, well, you know, I don't know. I saw this like beam of light and it hit the spot and I knew right when that happened. You know, it's like that type of thing that we hear about. And we all do this to a certain extent where it's just like we make decisions partly 
because of something that we think maybe God wants us to do, and we think, you know, I made that decision because, and it, because the sign that God gave me, it was more than coincidence, and so that's why I quit my job, and that's why I moved in with her, and that's why I filed for divorce, and we do all these things, and it's amazing to me that, that every time, it's really 100% of the time, I can't think of any time that this hasn't happened, that it's not been this way. It's amazing to me that when we think God gives us a sign, have you noticed this? It's usually a sign that confirms us to do something that we already want to do. Like, it's never the opposite. You know, it's never like, man, I don't want to do this, but God gave me a sign, so I have to do it. It's always something like, like confirming something we already want to do. Have you noticed that? Like, it's like we make this stuff up or we think about it, we reason it like this in our minds just to give us a reason to justify the thing that we want to do. And in reality, what we're doing is we're actually using God to get the thing that we want and making us feel better inside about it. Now, this is what I'm not saying. Before you write an email or you call me up, let me just say, I'm not saying God can't give you signs. Of course he can. God could do whatever you want. I'm not saying God can't use coincidences. God can do whatever he wants. But can I just say this? Sometimes coincidences are just coincidences. It's true. Meaning, you know, sometimes that coincidences, that's, that's exactly what they are. They're just coincidences. I remember um, when I was in high school, I, uh, I had this guy who was really like a mentor to me. I liked him. He was, he was a really good guy. Actually, uh, he came to church, and um, he was somebody that I looked up to. And I remember him telling me once, and he was like, hey, here's the deal. And I, I forget what we were even talking about or discussing that day. But he was just like, you know what? I don't believe in coincidences. And I totally understand what he's saying, right? And we've probably heard stuff like that. Um, even somebody just after um, one of the services today, they're like, yeah, I don't believe in coincidences. And I'm like, well, you know, you should probably rethink that. Um, and this is what the guy's thinking. He, he's, what he means is God is orchestrating every little thing that there is, meaning, and, and there's meaning really be, behind everything that happens within our life. And for me personally, the older I grow, maybe that's the reason, the more experience I get, the more I don't believe that that's true at all. And, and I acknowledge that God is 100% in control. Like, I get that. I understand that. I believe that with all my heart. But there isn't meaning behind every little situation that pops up in our life. And what our tendency is, is we assign the meaning, meaning to different things that pop up in our life and not hear what that meaning is actually from God. We're the ones who decide. And I was thinking about it this week. Like, where do we get off thinking that, you know, God's the only one to arrange, to arrange coincidences in our life? Like, don't you think the enemy would do that? Is God the only one who can arrange coincidences? Is it possible for Satan to do that as well in our life? You don't think he's ever thought about that before or used that before? I mean, look at this situation with David. I mean, here's David. He's got his armed men. Here we got unarmed Saul with his back towards them, and Saul has no idea. And let's be honest, he's in like his most vulnerable situation, position you could possibly be in, right? Right. Okay, he is, okay? And uh, he's squatting there doing his, doing his thing, and he's in there all, out of all the caves he could have gone in. He, he happens to pick the one that David's hiding in. Everybody's thinking, what are the odds? And everybody's thinking, this is completely, 100%, has to be a God thing. And they remind David that this is exactly what God said would happen. 
And they're telling David, you know, he, he, God said he would hand Saul over to you. He's doing it here today. And then they're also reminding him, remember what God promised you? God promised you that you would become the king of Israel. And the only thing in David's way in fulfilling God's promise here is squatting down with their back towards, turn, you know, back turned towards them. And David, he's listening to the advice of his men. And he's trying to figure this out. And listening to advice is obviously a really wise thing to do. And this is an unbelievable coincidence here. And David's trying to figure out, like, is this God? Or could it be the Satan? Or could it be the enemy? I mean, could this be the enemy taking something that God wants for David to have, which is the kingship? We know that God wants him to have it and tempting David to step out and take it for himself. Or tempting David to take matters into his own hands. And even, could it be that the enemy is actually using God's words to do it? God told you this would happen. This is what God wants for you. God said this. We've actually seen David do that, or we've actually seen Satan do that before. I mean, think all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You got Eve. What's Satan say? God, Satan, he's, he's trying to get her to understand. He's like, hey, God wants you to be like him, which is technically true. And so he's saying, if, if God wants you to be like him, I got the perfect way. I got the perfect solution. You just have to disobey him in this one little area, but then you're going to fulfill, you're going you're gonna to be like him, which is actually what he wants. And so it's just one of those things where like the, the ends justify the means. And, and Eve, what she do? What, he offers her a shortcut and she takes it. Same thing with Abraham. All right, think about Abraham. Abraham, God promised Abraham that he would be a nation, all right? And so, and so Abraham, he knew this was, promise was coming. There was only a couple problems. That was he was old, his wife's old, and he has got no kids, all right? Hard to have a nation come after him if, you know, if he's got zero kids that would come at, you know, if he's got zero kids. And so what's, what's Abraham decide to do? Well, he's like, well, you know, God must not be fulfilling his part of the plan, and so I'm going to make this happen. He takes matters into his own hands, and he sleeps with a servant and has a child through her. And God's just like, no. That's not what I wanted for you. He takes the shortcut. All right, think about Jesus. All right, Jesus went through the same thing. All right, Jesus, if you remember, Satan tempts him for like 40 days. And Satan's like, Jesus, you deserve the world. You could have all this. Don't you desire all this? And of course, that is something that Jesus desired. Jesus' desire is to rule this world the way that it should be ruled, the way that it should be ran, the way that it was designed to work. And that's exactly what he wants in the suffering and all this stuff. And so here's Satan. He's like, hey, I could give you all of this, just what you want. You just got to worship me real quick. And, and think about it. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to go through the pain. You won't have to go through the suffering. This will all be taken care of. Here's a shortcut. And of course, he didn't take it. But you see how Satan works in all this? See one of his tactics? All right, he takes God's truth and God's desire for you. And many times he offers you a shortcut and he tries to get you to take matters into your own hands. And so, 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 so often, we fall right into his trap. See, to God, obedience is always more important than opportunity. All right, remember that. Obedience, in God's mind, right, obedience is always, always, always more important than opportunity. See, just because an opportunity presents itself, maybe even in an odd way or a coincidental way, that doesn't mean that we should always take it, especially 100% when it involves us doing something contrary to the way that God tells us to live our life. 
Actually, this is the exact thing that brought King Saul down just a few years before, before David was even anointed as king. Um, at one point, uh, King Saul, remember Saul, he started off so well. And he had Samuel the prophet. He was there helping him and trying, always pointing him to God and, and trying, kind of mentoring him. And God tells King Saul, he says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to defend the, the, the Jewish people uh, from the uh, neighboring nation and I'm, I'll give you victory over them. I know they outnumber you. I know they're stronger than you. But I will give you victory over them. And so it's exactly what happened. Saul goes, all right, which had to have taken great faith. All right, I'd been like freaking out. Like, God, are you sure? Like, could I give me some more men? Or let's make this fight a little more even. God's like, no, I'm going to take care of it. God gives them the victory that he promises them. And then God tells them, hey, I want you to um, withhold all of the, you know, all the like livestock and everything that, they, that comes with conquering these people. I want you just to slaughter them all, which I know to us in our culture sounds kind of harsh, but, but God, you know, all, it all belongs to God. And so that's exactly what Saul kind of does. Saul kills all of them except for a few, right? So he kind of obeys. And he has those waiting. Actually, his plan is he's going to offer the few that he left, he's going to offer them as sacrifices to God, which in their culture is like a really, really good thing. You want to offer sacrifices to God. And so one day, uh, Samuel, he shows up on the scene. He's like, yo, Saul, what have you done? What are these sheep over here doing? And Saul's like, oh, man, it was great victory. Like, I, I obey God. I did everything God told me to do. And so all that's good. And Samuel's like, but what about the animals? And he's like, oh, yeah, I killed off like most of them. But I left the best ones, and those best ones I'm going to use as a sacrifice to God. I just haven't gotten there yet. And Samuel's like, don't you understand? You have disobeyed what God told you to do. You have stepped out of his plan. You have taken matters into your own hands, and you're trying to do something that you think God's going to appreciate, but you didn't do it God's way. And Samuel tells him, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. See, we never achieve the purposes of God by breaking the commands of God. It doesn't work that way. And David almost falls for it. And everybody around, you know, they know this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. They're like, let's kill Saul and let's all just go home. I want to see my family again. I want to, I want to go home again. And nobody else has to die. These are all the things that they're, they're like reasoning in their heads. And, you know, like this would save lives. It's better for the country. It's better for you. It's better for us. It's better for your family. There's no more battles. No, all the men on both sides, they get to go back home, back to their families. Only one man has to die. And besides, David saw he's trying to kill you. He's been trying to kill you for years. And so this is self-defense. You deserve this. And everybody in their minds, they're repeating over and over. They're like, kill the king, become the king. That's how it works. You kill the king, David, you become the king. Kill the king, become the king. And even David recognizes this. And so David creeps forward. And as he's moving forward, he feels the tension. The same tension many of us feel when we're making big decisions. You felt that before, right? Should he do it? Should just kill Saul, finally go home, his problems would be over. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer decision for all of his men. All of his men are like, yeah, yeah, go do this. But there's just something that, that I don't know, it's just not sitting well with him. Something just doesn't feel right. And as David gets closer, his tensions, the tension inside of him increases. And somewhere between the back of the cave and Saul, right, he starts to think about what he's about to do. And it starts bothering him. He starts asking the question, who made Saul king? He's like, well, God did. And then David's asking, well, who am I to undo something that God did? Why doesn't God just do it? 
And so he gets up close to Saul and he takes out his knife and all of his guys are so pumped. They're like, okay, yeah, this is the moment. We get to go home. This will be so awesome. And he does something that many of us don't have the self-control to do. He changed course. He says that David got up and he secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he sneaks back to his guys. And afterwards, David's conscience, it bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And his guys are just like, what are you doing? Yo, David, you missed. They're like, I don't, they're like, he's still, I think he just got his robe. <coughs> and he said to his men, he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. He says, the Lord is my witness. I would never do such a thing to my Lord, to the king. And he says, God's anointed. He says, I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And notice, he's not doing this because he likes Saul, because he's actually Saul's his father-in-law. All right, they had some family problems, as you can see. Um, he's not doing it because, because, you know, Saul was good to him once, or he didn't want to disappoint his, his wife or was wife. You know, it's not because of that. Notice, everything that he's doing is he's saying, because I don't think God wants me to. I don't think God wants me to. I don't think this is what God wants. I don't think I should step out and take control of this situation. And with these words, David persuaded his men. And you know what his men are doing, right? The men are like, okay, David, like, I get it. You got this, like, kind of weird, self-conscious, like, well, conscious thing going on and, you know, this religious thing. And so you don't think God wants you to do it. Maybe God told you no. I don't know. But all those men in the cave, they're like, God didn't tell me I couldn't kill him. Let me do it. You know, I'll go, I'll, I'll make it quick. He won't even see me coming and he won't feel it. I'll, it'll, be, it'll be instantaneous, no pain. We won't make, drag this out at all. And it's, it'll be better for everybody. This, this is, this will, more lives will be saved doing this. And David, he did not let them rise up against Saul. He wouldn't let him. And then Saul left the cave and he went on his way. So David has lost his opportunity. And Saul and the army, they start going on their way. And once they get a certain distance away, they hear a voice from the cave that Saul had just walked out of. And his voice says, hey, my lord, the king. And 3,000 men turn their heads towards the cave that Saul had just walked out of just a few minutes before. And there is the very man that they have been hunting for years, for so long. And he's holding a piece of cloth in his hand. And Saul looks at his robe. And sure enough, he realizes that cloth belongs on his robe. He's got a piece missing. And everybody in that moment knew who the better man was. In verse 8, he says, when Saul looked behind him, it says, David knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage, meaning he respects him. Can I just ask a question real quick? When was the last time that your authority, okay, made your life rough? Okay, and some of you guys, I know, you're like, well, that's like every day at work. All right, yeah, my boss, this, this, you know, this and that, whatever. You know, when was the last time that your authority did something to you or took something from you or just, just made your life kind of miserable, just like Saul had made David's life miserable? Actually, it's not even equal, but, but you get what I'm saying. And when was the last time that when you had the opportunity, instead of showing disrespect, you show complete respect? I mean, here's David. He kneels down. I'm not saying you go to work and you start kneeling down to your boss. Okay, that's weird. Don't do that, Okay. When I'm saying, when was, the last time, when was the last time that you didn't talk negative about them? When was the last time that you showed respect, not just to them, to their face, but also in the dark corners, also when they're not around? That's what David does. And he says to Saul, he's like, why do you listen to the words of the people who say, look, David intends to harm you? He's saying, they're liars. 
I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not trying to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. I could have killed you, Saul. I wanted to kill you, Saul. And someone advised me to kill you. In fact, Saul, all of my men, they all wanted me to kill you. But I took pity on you and I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lift my hand against my Lord, the king, since he is God's anointed. He's like, God put you in place. I'm not going to undo what God has done. He says, look, my father. He says, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off. And he's waving it and stuff. You know, that's what I'd be doing. But I didn't kill you. He says, recognize that I've committed no crime or rebellion. He says, I haven't sinned against you, even though you are hunting me down to take my life. You're trying to kill me, and I've done nothing. So may the Lord judge between me and you. It's so interesting here. David's like, I'm not taking revenge. I'm not even defending myself to, like, against you. He's saying, God's going to take care of me, and I'm going to let God take care of you. I'm going to let God deal with you. And then David says, he says, who is the king of Israel coming after? You're the king, man. I saw you're the king. Why are you coming after me, like, chasing after a dead dog or a single flea? I'm not worth your time. I'm a nobody. Notice David's humility here. You know what David could have said? This is what I would have said. You know, I think in that moment, I would have been ticked. Um, but I would have been like, who do you think you are? Like, so don't you realize that I'm God's anointed? God anointed me to be king. How dare you try to kill me? Who do you think you are? I haven't done anything. All I've done was serve you over and over and over again in my life. And I've done everything that you've asked. And I've done it well. <coughs> and you're coming after me? And Saul, when he hears this, he is speechless. He's also embarrassed. When he finished saying these things, Saul replied, he says, is that that you, David? My son? And then Saul cried in front of everybody. He said to David, like, he he gets it. Like, everybody, by the way, here gets it. He says, you're more righteous than I am, for you have done what is good to me, though I have done what is evil to you. And then... Saul went back home, and David and his men went up to the stronghold. <coughs> Notice David did not go back with Saul. All right, Saul said he was sorry. He basically asked for forgiveness. He acknowledged that David was the future king. He even cries. Like, he's got the emotions. He looks like he's sorrowful. But David's not going back. See, just because someone says that they're sorry and you forgive them doesn't mean that it always has to go back to normal right away. Okay? I think we know that. Sometimes we feel guilty when that doesn't happen. So here's David, he's saying, I forgive you, but I'm staying here for a while. And so David resists the temptation to do the wrong thing. Even with, even with unbelievable coincidence, staring at him in his face that nobody can deny, this seems, totally seems like a God thing. He chooses not to step out of God's plan. More importantly, he chooses not to take control. And David is men. They walk back to the mountains to the little spring, to the temporary home, and wait. Not for another opportunity, but for God's timing. And we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story and these words, and really, it's a lesson for all of us. David's just a great example. I think all of us in here, we have the temptation to definitely take revenge or to strike back or to push back or to defend ourselves in this way. David doesn't do that. He trusts in you and only you. And God, help us this week for us to do that. God, we need your help.
Lord, we thank you for giving us all the opportunities that you've given us and help us not to look or read into signs or anything, but God, we, we love you and we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.